This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to Teacher Talk Radio. Today you're here with your host, Nazia and Kripa, for your Sunday lunch. Today we'll be talking about harnessing success through PE. We'll include with our summaries for our mindful Sunday serenity moment. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back to the Sunday Lunchtime Show with Nazi Galib and Krupa Patel. Um, we are here today on this wondrous Sunday morning. It makes a change, doesn't it, Krupa? It's so lovely. Yeah, I really wish I was sitting in the garden right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that feeling. Um, but this, uh, well, well, actually, I'm looking forward to today's show as well. So we've got an exciting uh, show ahead of us talking about something different and actually this was different for me because um I've you know I suppose sports MP has never been like my forte what about (laughs) you do you know what I actually really enjoyed um playing cricket like team sports hated the bleep test and after the bleep test was introduced I was I can't do this anymore um however cricket netball all day long loved it absolutely loved it it's only when I became an adult when I saw allowed it to be less of a focus which I need to really readjust yeah I mean yeah I actually no I did play I was pretty good at netball I was on the netball team but I was reserves (laughs) (laughs) um okay so welcome everyone um so how was the weekend uh Krupa the weekend I can't even think about I think this week I've been feeling rather beat I've had a cold you know it's it's, I think it's a Strange weather or something, being around other people, whatever it is. Anyway, um, so I've had a cold. I'm on I'm on the mend. Um, but it means that my to-do list has grown like tenfold. I have got so much to do. I'm almost overwhelmed with what do I pick up first? And everything feels urgent and important. So I either procrastinate and pretend it's not there or I just sit down and nail it. I'm not sure where I feel I should be right now. You're and basically I... a slave to your to-do and I hate being that person. I really hate it. Um, but yes, there are seasons in life uh, where you just have to, where, you, where it happens, you just got to get on with it, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I know how that feels. And to be honest, I've been really trying hard to use all those techniques and strategies to prioritize the urgent and important tasks um, that you do. Uh, so. I think that I'm, I'm I'm okay. I mean, I have got several urgent li- things on my urgent and important list. But the most hilarious thing is that my urgent important list keeps in being added to. So it went from like one post-it note to two post-it note to three post-it. And I and you just laugh because you think, what is the purpose of this urgent important list if it just keeps getting bigger? And what would happen if you just threw that post-it note away? I often think about this. Like I, for a period of time, I stopped writing to-do lists because I was like, I'm not going to be a victim. I won't do it. And I only jotted down three things. Um, But when you have several hats on, you have an urgent to-do list, 
with three things for each of those hats that you wear. And I think that's the bit that I need some, some sort of, I don't know, organization or some like major in, insight to help me just crack all of those things. But um, I will, I do want to get to a point where I don't have to have a to-do list. I don't know if that'll ever happen. Is that yeah. achievable? She says, she asks. <laughs> no, if you, if you just sort of, I suppose if you retire, then, you, then your to-do list just becomes things you enjoy, isn't it? Mm. Okay, we can all wish. We yeah. can all wish. <laughs> How things. many years until I can do that? Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's get started. Let's. Hello, Lauren. It's so good to have you here today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm I'm pleased that it's been pretty hot this afternoon, so I've definitely got a lot of happy hormones uh, floating around. Always good to hear. Now, the last time we were in a similar sphere of um, recording for a podcast was when um, I did my very first podcast with you, um, and that was back in 2020, if I'm not wrong-ish. It's been a mighty long time. It has been a long time. So what have you been doing since? And actually, this is a really nice time for you to share your professional journey and introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I think the podcast was She Educate. So it was a podcast on um, empowering women um, in, in, in education. So what, gosh, COVID seems like forever ago now. I'm trying to retrace back. What have I been doing? Um, so yeah, I've been, I was reflecting the other day, I've been teaching for, in education for over 12 years now, um, which is really exciting. Um, and I guess in, in the last few years, um, I set up and founded a business called Kids for Sport, which is an after-school club provider in Southwest London. Um, and we essentially offer high quality yoga and sports clubs um to children with a really big well-being focus so that's been a big project um of mine along with um five or six other teachers in the in the last couple of years um and also alongside that i have um more recently taken on a project where i'm um working with a, a really really um lovely girls school um, where I'm working to sort of shape the strategy for the sports program. So that's that's something I've taken on recently. And um, yeah, it's quite nice to have the combination of the two, really. So critical, I think, especially now with so much changes and you think about the, the holistic being and, and families and communities and what they're facing, actually, to, to really have space and time to really think about well-being and physical education and the impact holistically on each person. I think there's so much value. And I do believe truly that it's completely essential to one's just general joy um, and wanting to, to grow and to remain and trying to encourage growth mindset and all the others wonderful things. But I think sometimes you have to go back to basics and think about where am I at? Am I okay? And what do I need to do to feel okay? Um, so I think it's a really, exciting time for you am I am I wrong in saying that or do you agree what's your thoughts oh I absolutely agree I think you know since COVID I don't think you know children's mental health is still quite low I don't think we've fully recovered you know I feel like we put in some really good interventions in place when we're in the pandemic and kind of eased off some pressures in some ways and I think that actually we have to be mindful that 
it wasn't that long ago and you've got you know year groups of year 10s and 11s that have missed like a few years of vital education that goes beyond maths lessons it's more about the personal development the you know relationships with one another and friendship building so you know I think being in schools you can see very easily that there is still a journey for for us all to make and actually being kind to ourselves and to people around us and and you know noticing that reflecting on ourselves and like you say am I okay how am I feeling how am I doing is is really really important still it's almost like a bit of a hangover isn't it from Covid that I think we're still shaking off in some ways. Absolutely and I think also if we, we Covid is coming right back again isn't it it's coming to that season it's it's cold it's it's really hot to one or the other um, and so therefore that will present other um sort of behaviors and so on and so forth so i think there's i think we've still got a lot of work to do but i think we're also going to have a huge learning curve uh while we think we've nailed it and we've understood it something will come up and we'll be back into oh my goodness again fight or flight how do we get back into some form of equilibrium again and i, I always find those those moments in life incredibly interesting um yeah, and, and think about perspective around that. But anyway, Nazia, I know you're eager to, to get involved now. So please, please let us know your thoughts. So it's, I mean, it's adding on to what you were saying, actually, is about how we haven't really fully recovered from the effects of COVID. Do you want to expand a little bit about how for dealt with COVID for a start and also any other kind of difficulties and challenges you've come across um in terms of the work that you do with young people and schools yeah so I guess if I sort of reflect and think more from a kind of running sports programs and schools perspective um I actually <laughs> dare I say it I actually feel there's a lot of positives that came out of COVID um obviously not the sort of health and, and mental health impacts of it but it kind of made everybody stop and reflect and rethink that what we are offering on our programs why we do it in that way and and what other opportunities there were so you know I was, I was working at a school at a time where you couldn't do team sports because you couldn't be within a close radius of someone else um you know you couldn't get changed in the changing rooms because you were too close to other people and because of covid so you started to kind of adapt and go, okay, what is it we can do? And we sort of brainstormed the team I was working with at the time and leading, you know, we could go for a hike in the countryside or why don't, you know, the students come in in their own PE kits instead of getting changed. And really interestingly, you start to play around with things in a way that you would never do otherwise. And you go, well, actually, the kids coming in in their own kit, they feel more comfortable wearing, particularly girls, wearing what they feel comfortable in, whether it's leggings or more baggier T-shirts. You're actually shaving off half an hour of changing time throughout PE. So you're maximising the time they're physically active and you're broadening your curriculum. So you're going, we're not going to do the textbook, you know, netball, football, hockey, where we have millions of sick notes. We're really going to be creative with the resources we have and, you know, explore options. And interestingly, um, those kind of things that of dealing with COVID with all the, you know, implications and risk assessments you had to do, I think we're a real big shake up for the subject of PE in, in, in school sports. So 
um, you know, in terms of what what was happening then, I think that was good. What I do think, and perhaps maybe not the best way is, it's almost like an elastic band. Now COVID has gone, we've sprung back to where we were. So we're back in the, you know, you have to wear this particular skirt, you have to be in this particular way, and you have to do this sport, that sport, and that. And actually, I feel in some ways we've lost that sort of positive movement towards more diversity that we could draw upon a little bit more, I think. You have to think innovatively when you're lacking choices, basically, or lacking options. And then, like you said, you go back and start to have to teach what's in the national curriculum and in the way that the schools want you to teach because it's life per usual in a way. Um, where do you feel it, the mental health and physical health kind of come together, especially when it comes to the work that you do? And how do you feel that, how do you feel you, we have progressed in terms of understanding the, the, the connection between the two? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think that in it being a physical educator, you know, that's what I trained in. I've always seen them being interlinked in terms of, you know, physical activity for young people tends to make them feel happier. They have a release. They have more communication with others around them. They develop different skills. And I think that in my experience of working in schools, very often, perhaps maybe different values and thoughts from staff, senior leadership teams and beyond, sometimes do see them as two separated things. Like, you know, you have your PE curriculum and then you have your PHSE. And actually, I think the two are very well interlinked. So um, I guess they link, you know, completely. And, and when COVID first came about, I remember that all extracurricular clubs were cancelled after school, for example. And something I really pushed for was actually it's in this time for mental health that we need the sports to carry on because beyond tech and you know communicating in that way how are we going to communicate so I think I've always seen the link um I'm not sure if I'm answering your your question I'm trying to remember where we were at but um yeah I I think that you know PE and sports offers that mental health benefit completely but I think that it's it comes from a senior leadership perspective to understand that the two are interlinked and to value PE and PHSE in a programme exclusively, I guess, and, and have that overlap. Do you think yeah. you're probably having better conversations with colleagues outside of your department about it? So do you think there is, in terms of the integration element of it, so, you know, do you think that maybe, you know, the maths teacher or, you know, um, geography or whatever, they're taking young people out to integrate without realizing with learning outdoors and 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 being them being that bit more active or you know or really mindfully thinking about actually this activity that I'm planning is actually to support mental well-being or to support you know to increase endorphins or whatever it may be um do you think there are better conversations between departments and practitioners in school I think there are definitely, but I also think definitely there's an opportunity to develop it further. And, you know, with us all being in education, I think that comes from everyone understanding the benefit because I do feel that we are still in a very outdated educational setup. You know, the classroom, draconian sitting behind desks, chalk and talk, 
doesn't do anything for anyone and a lot of research suggests that that actually isn't how you retain information so you know kinesthetically learning outside the classroom and 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 understanding that blood flowing around the body is good for your mental health and and practicality I think there's definitely more room for that that kind of thing to happen I mean I definitely feel that there's more of an awareness now I think the the fact that you know the importance of quality time that exercise time out regular uh, daily exercise that really got highlighted during covid when everyone was stuck indoors um and then alongside that i feel like especially on social media there's a lot more emphasis around the physical and the mental health and how they they intertwine and it's and it's really great to see that you know schools hope hopefully are taking that on board and really um allowing the integration of PE to be a, a core element of enhancing well-being, not just for students, but also for staff. Is that something, do you feel like there's something that could be done more for staff as well, maybe, do you think, in that regard? Yeah, I think I completely agree with what you're saying. I think that it almost seemed, I remember seeing some jokes and stuff on, I don't know if it's social media or between colleagues that I trained with of PE teachers saying, you know, it's taken a pandemic for people to value our subject. <laughs> like, you know, like it's taken that for people to realise that the mental health and the physical is linked. Um, I think it's really important as educators in any setting that it's role modelled as well, though. So you know, it's it's keeping, it, it, it's us as educators making sure we're up to date with research, with education, with um, knowledge that, you know, being interactive, going outside and, and knowing that that does benefit the pupils. Because I, yeah, I still definitely think there's more of a push. I do see a lot in schools, for example, that um, P lessons quite often get uh, cancelled for school photographs or you know, PE is often used as a bit of a dumping ground at times. So whilst I feel that there is a recognition that it's important for mental health and concentration in classrooms, I still feel there's a bit of a journey in some schools, maybe not others, to, to go. That's interesting. Do you think that that's because the, the science behind physical, um, the, the benefits of physical activity, be it through PE or, you know, walking, whatever it may be, recreational or, what, or sports or so on and so forth do you think they're they're in terms of teacher training there could be that could be a way of really thinking about staff well-being but actually it also works twofold with understanding actually this is what learning feels like this is what good learning could feel like and understand how metacognition the biology of the brain you know hormones and its impact actually when hormones aren't going well because you've got young people that are being diagnosed with thyroid and diabetes and all these other things um at a much younger age um and adults that actually maybe there needs to be some more room and more space within teacher training programs to actually really understand human humans you know and and how the teenage brain changes to, to adulthood and so on and so forth and i think for me when when i was in leadership i always found I, I had to almost start many of my sessions with the team around, where are you at? Are you okay? And maybe just throw in a fact of, did you know, or have you thought about, or, you know, it's this season, you know, remember, don't forget, we're coming to December, we're going to hit a, a massive low. So let's prevent ourselves from getting to that low and so on and so forth. Because I had to spend time really understanding 
the biology um, and the impact of that on our behaviors and so on and so forth. And that was with adults. Um, uh, what's your thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, so many thoughts just were igniting <laughs> in my brain when you were saying that. Because I, yeah, I remember when I did my teaching practice and one of the key takeaways I took was you had to follow one student around for the day throughout the whole day and I got to the end of the day and I remember feeling absolutely exhausted like you know you're in one lesson and you're being sort of fed all this knowledge which is very rich and you might not talk for 20 minutes and you're just taking it all in and then there's this chaotic transition in corridors and one-way systems and you are trying to gather your thoughts before you move into the next one and again, you know, the teacher could be grumpy or you're sat next to someone that's annoying you and and it, and it goes on. And actually, um, I, I think that there is something to be said for us all understanding what that feels like for a student and almost how how do we understand where they're at. And there's some really good schools I did um, when I did my senior leadership um, course and qualification, I looked at mindfulness programs. And there was a school in London and the last two minutes of every single lesson in their timetable was like a mindfulness reflection moment. And it was like they played some music and for two minutes in silence, the students were just able to like, just kind of be mindful, like, where am I at? How am I feeling? You know, I really don't get this maths. How am I going to cope with that? Do I go home and study more? Do I need, what do I need to do? And to just reflect on the knowledge and the here and the now before the next phase. And actually, I, 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 I could see the and the research showed how much that impacted educational attainment. And I think sometimes we really miss that. I think that's really that's really beautiful. And I think it's what 12 minutes in total of a day. If you think about break time and how chaotic that is by the time you go and get your coat and you do all those things and you're oh you're on duty and there's a radio going again and all of that it's really busy um and when you've come from from a, a place where covid was happening for many of our young people um where they they although they didn't have control because of VUCA and all these, these strange things that are happening but it was quiet they had control over space perhaps and and whether they wanted to be on the screen or not if they had access to other tools and so it's a different sense of control so having that two minutes per day to just take stock, how powerful is that? And so, so just coming back to that data, does, did it say that it had a positive correlation to young people feeling happier or doing better? Did you say? I can't, can't remember if you said it. Both, both, both actually. Oh, yeah, and some, some of the research I did post-COVID with some year eights and nines boys that were really impacted by um, COVID in terms of they struggled to concentrate in lessons, um, they weren't really completing homework, they got distracted, they were feeling anxious and stressed. Um, I did sort of an intervention with, with a really good pastoral team on, you know, using form time to do more mindfulness practice, reflection activities, you know, journaling. And across two terms, like, as you, as you would imagine there, happiness and well-being went up but so did their educational attainment and I, I sometimes think as schools and as practitioners we just cram cram and cram and panic about exams and great if people end up with these grades and get to the next stepping stone but if four or five years later that individual you know is suddenly 
needing to take a bit more time out or, or, or speak to someone professional because they haven't really dealt with these emotions as they've gone along, you end up suppressing it. So I think that, you know, there's really a space to develop this reflection and more, like you said, where am I now? How am I feeling? What are my next steps? And actually really learn to understand how they feel and their own feelings. Love this. I can listen to you all day, Lauren. I really could. I think it's just so it's spot on. I know that we we hear it and we see it, but actually when you hear it from a broader sense and, and with the various roles and hats that you wear, uh, it really brings it back home. Actually, we just got to keep persistent. We've got to keep pushing this through because it does work and it is worthy. Um, Nazia, are we coming to a break? Yes, we are coming to a break and um, it's going to be, I believe, a news break. And we'll catch you back after. Speak soon. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff protecting careers this is teachers talk radio and this is teachers talk radio news schools may have to redraw budgets for the next academic year after what the bbc describes as a blunder by the department for education a miscalculation came about because the number of pupils was underestimated. An original plan of a 2.7% increase per pupil in England for the academic year 2024 to 25 has now had to be revised to 1.9%. The government has ordered an inquiry and issued an apology. In a letter to the Education Select Committee, the DfE stressed that this was not a reduction to the total schools budget but said the amount promised had to be recalculated because an undiscovered error made by DfE officials during initial calculations. The BBC calculated that keeping the original planned increase of 2.7% would have meant the government having to find a further £370 million to top up the overall school's budget. Jeff Barton, General Secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders, said the error was unfortunate and frustrating and that it was likely that trusts and local authorities will have used the incorrect figures and will now need to revise budgets. A-levels and T-levels will be replaced by a new qualification for school leavers in England, according to new plans announced by PM Rishi Sunak. The plans reported across media outlets would see 16 to 19 year olds study around five subjects as part of the so-called Advanced British Standard including some maths to 18. The plans prompted many to question how this would be delivered, but Mr Sunak said that more teachers would be recruited and that changes would be aimed at pupils who were currently only just starting primary schools. 
He also announced that the changes would see students spend 195 hours more with a teacher. He also promised an additional £600 million over two years to increase training of maths teachers and funding for those studying for compulsory GCSE resits in colleges in maths and English. The plans will go to consultation for possible implementation around 2033-34. to 34. But with a general election on the horizon, many may feel they are unlikely to happen should there be a change in government. The early years and primary sectors have responded to reports in the Times that children will have to brush their teeth under supervision in schools. According to the paper, Labour is planning to use schools and nurseries to help save NHS dentistry and that the party would introduce supervised toothbrushing in schools for children aged three to five and this would be prioritised in areas with the highest incidence of childhood tooth decay. Whilst dental associations and charities welcomed the proposals, Paul Whiteman of the NAHT said the union had serious reservations about how such a policy could even work and that it is not the role of teachers to make sure children brush their teeth. Schools Week reports on comments made by Amanda Spielman, Chief Inspector of Schools in England, at the Confederation of Schools Trust's annual conference. Ms Spielman was responding to questions about a rise in complaints to Ofsted about schools. In 2017-18 to 18, there were around 11,500 complaints, but in 2021-22 to 22, this had risen to almost 15,000. Ms Spielman said that post-Covid people were grumpier and have a greater propensity to put pen to paper but the complaints leading to early inspection numbers weren't any higher than previously. She said there was no question more complaints were coming through, but that she was sceptical it reflected any real change. In Wales, the BBC reports on an ongoing school-run parking route. Residents of a street in Bridgend say issues at pick-up and drop-off times are persisting 18 months after a protest saw people living in a cul-de-sac blocking the road. They describe the scene outside of a nearby primary school as carnage and claim cars and property have been damaged. Residents have been blocked in their driveways and this has led to rising tempers. This is a perennial problem across the country for many who live near primary schools. The row in Wales is unlikely to be resolved anytime soon. Finally, student housing has made the news again this week this time in Salford, where, according to BBC Local News, a major student letting company has been accused of falsifying a tenant's signature on a document to defend a property's filthy conditions. The company is alleged to have added the signature to a waiver saying tenants were aware the property had outstanding maintenance when they moved in, but tenants said they had been told issues would be resolved beforehand. Upon arrival, they discovered a broken fire door, a boarded-up window, and slugs and cockroach infestations. An investigation into the allegations of forgery has been launched. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we are speaking to lovely Lauren here today on uh, sports and well-being, all things sports and well-being, in fact. And um, it's been a really interesting discussion so far. I mean, it's actually, to be honest, it's really good to have a specialist on board who actually validates all of those conversations that we have informally about the importance of physical exercise, mental health, well-being, 
linked to academic success and overall happiness for people. So, especially our young people. So, um, I have a question slightly outside of um, the the piece, the PE element of it specifically. So we do a lot of, I, I know there's different perspectives on having these brain breaks or physical breaks in between lessons. And I remember a while ago, especially within the primary sector, and I, I'm going back 10 years now, where it, it just became a big thing to, to stop the lesson and for all the students to get up and do this kind of brain gym exercise so actions that cross the midline. Um, what are your thoughts around that? I know there's there's lots of different opinions. Some people think it's a waste of time. Some people think um, it's been great. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, from a it's it's not something I've had loads of experience with in terms of academic research and and know all the stats for it. But from a physical perspective, I think that it's great if i mean if you think of the science and you've been sat in the classroom learning maths for 10 15 minutes whether you're struggling with it and you know or you're switching off or your concentration's gone if you start doing star jumps and jumping up and down you know the, the blood's pumping around the body there's more oxygen to the brain you know you feel more alert your concentration's heightened and you know for those learners that are maybe struggling with things like maths if they're sporty or they're physically capable you're giving them a little nugget of success as well so if you're doing stuff like crossing the midline or i think i've done stuff like tap your head and rub your belly and and, and mixing it up a bit you're you're taking them away from something that maybe they're really struggling with and, and feeling pretty pants about not achieving it and so i definitely think there's a big space for it um and I think even when you think about adults of concentration, when I'm studying stuff, I can only really focus for 10 to 15 minutes on really hard things. And then, you know, you make a cup of tea or you move to another room and, and, and restudy. So I think that, you know, even if we treat our students like ourselves as adults, we'd probably give them more breaks than they get in a school day in a lesson. So um I, i'm i'm a really big big advocate for for any physical activity you can get in the classroom playing devil's advocate why someone says well actually you're taking away their you know they're really focused mm -hmm. and you're distracting them i mean that's a really interesting question because typically in a school setting you get to year 11 and you end up in conversations very often with heads of year even saying can we just change P and sport to study periods now? And, you know, parents will often say they're not going to do any activity after school now because they have to study. And interestingly, in the same way as that learner in the classroom, you need it more than ever then because your brain needs a break. And, you know, we know as adults, if we had an essay to write for something we were studying and we sat behind a desk for 12 hours and wrote it, we'd probably you know, be as effective if we did, you know, like six hours and did, you know, a, a run at the end or a hike or a Zumba class or, you know, a little walk outside. So I don't think you are taking them away from education. I think you're heightening their focus when they are studying. And I think the re there's a lot of research to show that. So um, you're only going to, you know, get better academic attainment if you're keeping them moving. Um, and the thing is, is that, that I suppose that kind of feeds into, I mean, the question I ask, it feeds into that kind of philosophy that 
we can't even waste one minute of a lesson across as well. Yeah, and I think linking to what you were saying, it's it's a cultural thing in a school, isn't it? And I think that, you know, if you're in a headship position, it's about, you know, being an advocate for that physical activity and the mindfulness of children because, you know, students sense when you're cramming into every minute and actually sometimes the brain puts the brake on as it were and goes whoa hang on a minute every minute is accounted for with learning here I physically can't take in anymore and that's when I think some students start to spiral and go whoa actually I can't do this so I think you know in terms of research I think there's the bits I referred to earlier there's there's a lot of research in terms of physical activity and how you know it increases concentration and, and all of these things that that is useful to take into the classroom. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more on on brain gym and brain breaks that that sort of emphasizes the need for that. But I think it in terms of you instilling it in a school setting, it has to come from the top and it has to you have to educate. You know, all senior leadership team need to be on board of understanding the importance of physical activity and mental health for, for it really to work. I agree. Can we just extend that a little bit? Because I think it's the assumption that every young person has access to facilities to do this outside of their learning environment. So I think if we just take that view, if you think about various demographics, you know, where schools are located, um, if you think about pollution, just, you know, something where people may live, there are factors that haven't been brought into so we've just talked about the immediate, the, the young person at that point in time, but actually that might be the only time in the week that they're able to do something they truly enjoy. That's a passion. Um, so I, my, my kids go gymnastics on, on a Sunday and, and we, we love going to support that and so on and so forth. It takes a good chunk of our day. However, we found that when we have, um, when they have competitions and so on and so forth, um, the whole process of, of the adrenaline kicking in, of wanting to to build you know be, be at their best the, the practice the care and you sort of can see how physical activity can be a passion that can take them into different worlds and expose them to different things and different people and different environments and careers and so I think it's so sad when you say can we just swap you know a, a, a PE session or, or a a mindfulness session for a study period when actually what you're doing potentially could be closing some doors for these young people um and quite hard as well um and within these processes like if you're running or you're doing sports and things don't go quite well that element of resilience you know yeah like, i think also drawing upon what you were saying um feel the blood going and me getting really excited about this topic is um, it's, it took me until, you know, I 34, 35, when I've been doing amateur Great Britain triathlon stuff to learn how to really, truly, authentically manage that anxiety, that fun nervousness before you compete, before you do a competition. And that is simply because I don't know when I was at school whether I was equipped with the tools to do that. I'd often get to big county level, you know, competitions and I just feel like I was the worst there and I was going to fail and I talked my way out of it and you know if you remove those opportunities like the gymnastics competitions or anything else mm -hmm. you're kind of almost robbing students of preparing for real life challenges because preparing for a sports competition or fixture 
it's not much different from doing, you know, a presentation when you're working in the city life, if you are, or, you know, doing something, managing something challenging when you first have your new job. So I think that, you know, in terms of that managing the pressures and anxieties and excitement that comes, sport really is an opportunity for young people to, to develop those mini successful strategies that work for them to manage how they feel in that scenario, I think. And it's a good release. So it's good for building resilience. It's good for, you know, um, being able to just switch off when, when you had a hard day and actually go and do something that's going to fuel you because we spoke earlier about, you know, um, sometimes life or, or situations presenting as draining, i.e. exam times, you know, it's just hard. Everyone wants you to do well. No one's family's not quite sure how to support and it's, it can feel quite hard for young people. And so I think it's it's a really important escape to, to to come back to equilibrium to to come back into some sort of baseline and be like okay one small step uh, one small step is good enough and you know it just I think those moments are so so poignant in anyone's life um, and that is what actually enables people to be able to to manage difficult situations um as life presents it's just how life works isn't it yeah, and like you said, it's those marginal gains, isn't it? It's that, you know, being, some people say 10% braver, it's that, you know, every time you face that situation, just trying that little bit harder to get a bit more resilient. And and ultimately that I would be slightly biased, but sometimes I feel you don't get that so much in a maths classroom. I have lots of maths colleagues that I'm sure will probably argue otherwise, but, you know, <laughs> Sport and physical activity really does present that opportunity for so many different emotions to come up, so many different pressures, you know, friendship difficulties, you know, team cohesion challenges and all of those things that maybe aren't always there in, in more of a sort of traditional, uh, you know, classroom setup. Absolutely. So with that, with all this good stuff that we're sharing, are you able to share some success stories with us? Yeah, um, when when you sort of invited me onto the podcast and, and mentioned a few things you might we might talk about, I, I was reflecting actually on my 12 years in education and I was trying to, it was quite a joy actually to think about some real highlights. Um, I think as, as it may have come across, for me, I'm very passionate about women in sport. I'm very passionate about working with young people that don't particularly like sport and physical activity. A lot of Colleagues I've worked with over the time will want to coach the top netball team. The, the, you know, the students that I get real joy from are those that kind of grumble and see me and want to walk the other way because they want to do something active. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> I see that as, as, as a real challenge because I want them to be in, in find something they enjoy, you know, for, for, for a lifelong time. But um, when I was working in Beijing, I really noticed... Um, that the girls lacked confidence in a sports setting. Um, there wasn't as many girls participating in sport in China. Really? Stereotypically, yeah, stereotypically, girls have more of a traditional role in a in a home setting, and you know they maintain a sort of particular physique and a role within um, their family. Whereas the boys were more of the pronounced, confident alpha, you know, individuals. And I could see a lot of girls who lacked self-esteem, confidence, but, you know, sort of had a glimmer of joy in, in sport. And I 
actually um, liaise with This Girl Can, and I, I launched a This Girl Can campaign, which is run by Sport England in Beijing. And wow. I worked with um, form tutors, and I asked them to identify two or three girls from their forms who thought they might benefit from the programme. And I was targeting girls that were less sporty, because I knew that perhaps they'd already, you know, had the benefits from sport. And then working with sort of, you know, five or six different members of staff, not just from PE, but across the whole school, we put together a really uh, dynamic, innovative programme, which had bouldering. I think the geography teacher taught this bouldering session. Um, I remember the IT technician taught some boxing to the girls. Um, we did, what else did we do? We did some yoga. Uh, we did some basketball, some more traditional things. And each each sort of uh, couple of weeks, we did a, you know, a little Google Form equivalent survey to see where they were on confidence scale. We had um, the marketing team were very excited to take pictures of the girls and, and promote it. So they felt this real sense of, of value being part, belonging to this programme. Um, and it was a really um, joyous success story because seeing the girls from you know, week one to, I think it was at least a half term, if not more, towards the end, they, you know, they suddenly felt like they belonged in a sports setting. They had the confidence to walk in in their, you know, sporty gear and, and not feel like they were going to be picked last or they didn't have a place. And, you know, noticeably, we followed it further, the form tutors started to pick up on that they were more confident to answer questions in the classroom. They were taking risks, you know, in their academic learning. And so it, it was it was just a really nice project, I think, on many levels, because, you know, being in that that sort of setting with the stereotypes, but also seeing the link of what physical activity can have to, you know, self-development as well. That's so heartwarming. Like I'm buzzing. I've got goosebumps. I think <laughs> because I, I I sort of maybe I'm thinking for these girls that's probably the only opportunity that they've ever had to explore their identity and who they are and what they want to explore. Like it's it's almost like giving them that Willy Wonka golden ticket and just like hey go go nuts and it's just like whoa can't cope. But actually what 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 that does for that young woman as she grows up is knows that she she can break those norms and she can break those ceilings and hopefully that will you know break some generational trauma and stigmas and conditioning so yes it's a it's a project that's happened for a period of time but you know that could have huge impact across um larger terrains there so i, I mean I, I'm, I'm buzzing hearing that and if there's ever any projects um, that we can support and in that regard, please let us know because it's something that's so important where you need a village um, and we need to have um, like-minded people that want to champion young girls to, to be their best selves. And, and if it means that we need to, to do that together, then, then we should. Brilliant. Yeah, it's, that, that's exciting. I'm excited. I think in any opportunity you get, I think there's, like we said earlier in the conversation post-COVID, I think, you know, there's a real need for this. And I think, instead of layering up so much with what academic things of young people missed out on, I feel like actually, hang on, let's just flip it a bit and really focus. Because I think if you focus on the self-development of someone, the learning comes. It does, but there needs to be a readiness for it. And there needs to be a support network. And I think also it needs to work in hand with the culture and the leadership of the, of the you know, that, that that progression for that that particular subject for it, whatever it may be 
Uh, so we have talked about various elements in terms of mindfulness, uh, well-being, uh, the positive impact of physical education um, and how that's sort of integrating across schools, subjects and, and conversation and so on and so forth. Even when I was just talking about the This Girl Can project, it was sort of bringing me goosebumps, taking me back to that time myself. I, you know, I'm a huge advocate for well-being. I, my heart is in education and I'd, I'd like to see some of the work that, you know, um, I'm doing in schools with yoga programs. I also have a true passion, as I said, for, for girls in sport. And I think it's a really exciting time. You've got people like the Well HQ who are doing loads of stuff around, you know, periods and, and breaking barriers for girls. You've got some incredible governing bodies doing work to try and close the gap between, you know, men and women. I know England cricket are doing loads of stuff on that. And I think what's next for me, I think, you know, being part of, um, you know, some of the work I'm doing in an all-girls school at the moment and just really looking at the sports programme dynamically, speaking to students about what kind of things they want to see on the programme, how can we impact as many girls as possible for they, them to reach their potential is, is really big and important for me. I think I really enjoy kind of peer-to-peer -peer supporting programmes of schools in education to see how they can be dynamic and integrate this well-being piece ultimately into PE. I think we've got to we've got to start integrating it. PE is a great platform. The schools are curriculums are so squished, and the more and more we squish them, the more and more these kind of well-being bits and pieces are going to squeeze out the sides. And I think. I'd love to be part of projects that are taking a proactive approach to well-being. So we're not reacting. We're not going, you know, look out for this person because they're struggling with this, this and this. But actually, we're going, looking at the positive psychology, looking at what interventions we can, strategies we can put in place for how we can equip children for a modern world. Because I'm, I'm scared about all the tech and the, you know, social media pressures and all those things. So... I guess for me, it's about, you know, it's it's being involved with those projects and, you know, I'd, I'd love to do a bit more work with some of, you know, Sport England perhaps and, and some of these governing bodies that are having, you know, broader impact on young people across the country. Um, so, because that's what kind of sets my heart on fire, talking about those projects and the impact we can have on young people. I think there's definitely several areas that could be focused on. And when it comes to looking at physical exercise and um, physical interventions, um, one is obviously the the girls, which you've mentioned. And I also think that there's, there probably could be a more particular focus on girls from uh, Black and ethnic minority communities. I think, especially I know for a fact, coming from an ethnic minority community, Ne there was never an emphasis on physical exercise and the importance of it and you know other than a bit of netball I didn't really play much sport in schools um took part in sports day and played netball and that was it and uh doing something like that doesn't really even though I enjoyed the netball it doesn't really build a love for for the sport because you're not being hooked into it in the right way and you're not being introduced into it it's being done as part of part and parcel of a timetable and I think that hooking process and really integrating it as part of the holistic uh you know idea of well-being really will then 
change mindsets and just having a PE lesson is not enough. And I can tell you that from my own experience, PE meant very little to me growing up. Um, but obviously, as I've as as I'm significantly older now, you know the impact of it. I I feel now more than anything else. I think I think role models are key. You know, there was I can't remember her name, an incredible um, Muslim female who just broke barriers with a marathon and was fasting at the time. And I think you know we really have to celebrate successes and have role models and advocates for physical you know education who are from those ethnic minorities and and make sure that is being role modeled that it's not just being seen as something that's accessible by one group of people um i think that there's a lot to be said for pe kits i think not just with certain minorities you know we're all women i know that if you made me wear a tiny skirt and a, a crop top and pushed me onto a netball court i wouldn't want to do it <laughs> My body doesn't fit into it in the right way and I think that's more broad but I think you know we have to think about the different clothing that we're wearing we have to be mindful of how you know different groups of people feel when they're playing sport um so I think that's that's you know really key and um just to touch on the second point of what you're saying and Krupa you're asking me about projects that I'm interested in I am um, I, I've been in quite a few conversations with local councils where about grant funding and there's some fantastic work going on by charities where they are, you know, drawing upon statistics, like you said, of maybe people out of education aren't accessing sport and brilliant, you know, sport free sport projects that are happening in local community centres and things like that. And I'm very passionate in exploring options to, to expand and offer things like that because some people can't afford sports facilities it's heavily expensive and I think you know we we all sit behind desks and realize our backs are rounded and then we feel grumpy and groggy and I think there's definitely there's definitely more that can there's always more that can be done but I think that you know they are big areas of of development and um yeah offering more provision I think I agree. And I think also just like having on the access for, for parents so they don't need to think so much about it. So park runs, give them the, the local park runs. That's, you know, a five minute walk from their home. And actually it gets the whole family out at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning and a Sunday morning. You do feel that there's a sense of belonging there because everyone's there to do the same thing. And then you head back and you start your day and you think, actually, you're going to these healthy habits of doing these things. But actually, I've only learned to do it because my husband's a runner. And uh, this is this has now become part of our, our our routine. But there are so many families where I just think, you know, I think young person would really benefit. You just need to, even if you don't want to run, mum or dad, go with them, take them, and just just watch them go. Just watch them be really happy and run and do that one mile and come back. And I guarantee you, the homework will be done by by midday. And they always come back and they say, "You're right, thank you." Absolutely, and it's it's things like. Um... I don't know if you have them where you are, but I have Lyme bikes near me. <laughs> I think oh, about them quite a lot. I'm, I'm an advocate for them. However, I have learned that they cost almost as much as a tube. And I know there are a lot of, um, there, there are some charities that offer like, you know, hire a bike kind of incentives for those that perhaps can't afford it. And I think it's these kind of things where, you know, it doesn't have to be running, where if we can offer more of this to people that are outside of education, whether it is, you know, they get a code for line bike and we're supporting those that can't afford it. It's a great way to get them moving, you know, from A to B and you pick it up wherever it is and you drop it off. And I think 
it's being creative, isn't it, to offer those opportunities that are broad and diverse, that aren't just, okay, Conjoix YouTube and have a go at working out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the velocity and all that sort of change in lung capacity and all that is, is actually really important. That's, that, that's, that enables, we provide spaces and time for that to be shared. Um, so I think there's, there's lots in terms that we all can, I think, immediately just contribute to within our own settings, which is where are there free places that you don't have to have a particular outfit to wear you could just show up and even just just observing to begin with and just taking your time with it and just opening up the mind opening up that time and the curiosity around it is probably the first step and then you know participating but feeling really good so you don't have to finish a whole run you don't have to finish the whole bike ride you just need to get on it or you just need to know where to locate it and I think it's those conversations that make it seem less um less of an end goal it's more of a journey let's just let's just get started and let's see where it takes us and maybe you may find other things that you explore but we need to I think like that's something I definitely will be taking away with me this week which is whoever I speak to is finding ways to just share local spaces um to be active um or to have the quiet for that for that mindfulness um I hope that's that's offered some fuel for thought yeah or, absolutely and a lot of councils, I think, are doing brilliant things with these outdoor gyms that you see. And I know, I know, speaking to local councillors in, you know, my own council, they're 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 advocates. They're like, you know, we have got budget, and we really want more provision that is creative. And like you said, it's a journey. So it's it's encouraging that if people have these kind of ideas to get younger people active, then um, that the, the sort of funding is there to do it. Absolutely. Okay, now we have sadly are sadly towards the end of our show with you today. And Lorna, I would love to have you back on at some point and to hear about all the wonderful things that you're doing, but also sincerely how we can collaborate in terms of supporting young people and schools and practitioners to really drum this home and to support them in whatever way that that, that looks like. Please do do let us know. Um, so for the last questions, can you share your top tip on or insights of um teaching sports? for any practitioner in any setting? Is there any top tips that you have? Yeah, as it's the last question, I'll try, I'll try and keep it fairly prompt. But um, number one, I think top tip is keep young people active for as long as possible. I remember someone observing me once and back in the old, I'm not sure what the um, measures are now when they give you outstanding good and so on. And, and the head teacher said, I'm not giving you outstanding, it's inadequate because it took six minutes for the children to move. And I, it will always stick with me. And I always think that if you're teaching PE or games, get the students moving as quickly as possible. Do the register, off you go, let's play a game of tag. Doesn't matter how old you are, get the blood flowing. So I think that's definitely one top tip. I think, um, be creative with your space. When it rains and you're in a classroom, don't cancel PE. You know, you can do loads of different things. You can push the tables to one side and follow a yoga video, or you can talk strategy. Like try and protect that PE time, I think, as much as possible. And then I guess the final one is like, have high expectations of the people you're teaching because often we you know might look at a group and and say oh they're not particularly fit let's just kind of stop the game quickly because they're out of breath but actually for young people fitness is quite low at the moment and until you experience being breathless and experience feeling like a little bit sick you don't really get much fitter so I think 
it, you know, kids like it when we have our high expectations of them because they feel valued. So I think, you know, expect them to be able to improve their fitness and challenge them as much as you can. I guess they're probably my three sort of top tips. Amazing. Um, and I think I, I may add, if I may, um, which is get involved. Do it with them. It's fun. And it, you all end up feeling really good at the end, don't you? Um, Lauren, again, like I said, it's been so, so wonderful having you join us um, today. And I am so sure that anyone and everyone that listens to this um, podcast and the nuggets of, of information that you've shared um, will 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 be shared beyond this conversation and beyond their network as well. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, and we really look forward to connecting again really, really soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been great to reconnect. And um, for anyone interested in doing podcasts or featuring on them, I think it's a really nice opportunity to reflect on your own practice. And it's a real joyous moment, I think. So thank you. Thank you. So that was the end of our interview with the lovely Lauren. Um, we will be back in a mo with some of our reflections on our discussion with her and our Serenity Sunday moment. Catch you in a bit. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen Adapt to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. Adapt. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Welcome back, everyone. Um, so, our reflections on that discussion and interview with Lauren. Um, how do you feel about that conversation and how that conversation went? I... I was I'm buzzing as much as I was buzzing when we were recording. Mm. Um, there was so much there that I just think needs to happen and needs to continue to happen um, that can happen within the classroom, but also beyond that. But it's also thinking about extended communities and bringing that and drawing those really key factors in. Um, and sometimes we lose sight of that because we're only dealing with what's in front of us at that point in time. Uh, which leads us quite nicely to our summary. So what's your thoughts and then I'll share mine? Yeah. So um, this idea of focusing on physical and mental health is really in line with this, with inclusive education. Yes. Um, and we need to really see that it will benefit everyone, not just the students who are sitting in the classroom and fidgeting away and are rearing to get out of the classroom and run outside during their break and stuff so we need to really reap the try and reap the benefits throughout the day rather than just in lessons that was one of my big kind of take-home learning points from our discussion with Lauren and the other one was around breaking barriers actually and and especially cultural ones 
and that example she gave of when she was in China and how, what she was doing with the with the girls there, it just shows the importance of championing for change and to increase accessibility. And I think that it's you know there's so many ways that that can happen. You know we can have ladies only or men's only. You know, increase the amount yes. of sessions and types of sports that are available for ladies only or men's only. I know I always struggle to find ladies only sessions and gyms and things like that. But and there was this element of funding and low cost. Um, I think that that's really important, especially during times like now. Um, and broadening the offer beyond the typical. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't just be netball or hockey or uh, I know something that we used to do in our school. What was it? Um, the the ball thing, can't remember. Does it really help me? Yeah, yeah. Bench ball. Oh, you said bench ball was fun. Dodgeball, dodgeball, oh, is dodgeball, dodgeball. Okay. Um, and there were some other few other things which were just so typical, and you knew you're going to cover them every single year. Yeah, you know, and it's just, you know, people's. You don't get people's passions, and if you just offer the same old, same old, it's about trying different things and giving exposure to different things. Yeah. Um, I know, for example, like I only started liking, I really enjoyed boxing, but only, but that was when I had my personal trainer after I had my child and during maternity leave, I decided to get personal training just to get my fitness levels up. And um, so she used to do some boxing with me and I really enjoyed that. And I had never done boxing ever in my life. And it was such a, it was, I just realized it was something that I really, really enjoy doing and spinning. I really enjoyed spinning, but I only found that out later in my in life, in my thirties, that I enjoyed doing it. I had no idea about it before then. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, having these high expectations, but it's is really important. And that point, uh, I think Lauren put there nicely. Uh, what about you? So, um, I think we've been discussing loads around the student perspective, and rightly so. You know, it's it's this is for teachers and practitioners and so on and so forth, um, and the, the the positive impact that you know uh, physical activity has on uh, mental health, physical health. But I like that there was a clear discussion on the holistic health. So think about self esteem, uh, processing time, the team etiquette, coordination, resilience, but team motivation. Those are the other elements and actually incredibly crucial skills that help navigate life, that help navigate uh, better choices, that help navigate uh, one to sort of rise when things don't go your way and so on and so forth. So those skills there that we can spend more time harnessing and really trying to think through in line with the the dead tangibles that we know, you know, we know about heart rate and we know about um, how that impacts your lung capacity and and stamina and so on and so forth. but what it also does is come right back down to connection. When you are doing sports that you enjoy and you're doing it, you know, generally, if you're doing team sports, for example, you are building a different sense of connection with yourself and with those that you're playing with. It takes you away from the operations, the mundane or whatever. You are focusing on, on the, the outcome um, and how you're going to communicate in different ways with other um, people. And that, that then develops strategy. And those skills is what's going to make learners grow in a different way, it enables them to thrive beyond the classroom. So they're taking, you know, theories or they're taking um, ideas and they do something with it. They're physically doing something with it and having to navigate that. And for me, that blows my mind every time. And if we could have that as a hook and if we could share that as a hook, you know, can you imagine like what that would offer so many? Anyway, 
So bringing it right back down to connection again. Um, and I think while we have spoken about the young people, is actually where and how can we encourage the adults in these young people's lives to do the same? So it should be part of teacher training. It should be part of the day where we're talking to each other in the staff room about healthy habits, about, you know, joining classes, about having a, a you know, a once a week or once a term where you have, uh, you know, somebody that comes in as, and does team staff, you know, uh, sports activities or whatever it may be because we we know we know that it does it's so supportive and works really well for young people why are we not doing that with the adults the key adults that are in these young people's lives so we need to live that we need to be able to show that and model that and integrate that as well as uh have that as part of the young person's learning so that's that's my uh my big my big takeaway at this point in time um so we've had a listener that has just uh i mean it's so lovely to, to see zenobi actually here but she's uh talked about using uh, yoga within her, her double science lessons for three minutes and actually how it supports students that she's teaching with ADHD and how to help them regulate. But I also know that, and I'm assuming here, that she does that yoga with them. So again, it's thinking about that, the whole, the whole entire moment at that point in time, who's present and what they're doing and how is that supporting their growth and, and that regulation. Mm. So uh, what What's your yeah. yeah, do you know what it is? It just it's, it was really um interesting when when Lauren talked about how during exam time the first lesson to stop to go or to get some flexibility around was PE. Yeah. Um and it's sad actually, it's really sad because it's it just shows, you know, the importance possibly that some organizations, some schools, some teachers may place on that so this idea of really bringing that into initial teacher training yeah. I think is vital you know there's such a big focus on well-being mm. well actually you know that that is the physical element of well-being we cannot detract from that and I think it's really important that you know any new teachers joining the field really make it uh, a part of um, really make it part of the the way that they teach really um and the way that they uh model for young people that's the key is the modeling part there's lots of talk about self-development there's lots of talk about you know um well-being and we have lovely insets that last for that moment in time but actually if we don't integrate it embed it and do it and show one another how to do that well um, and also when it doesn't go well actually how do you get back up and you restart and you take that one step again is is the key you know it's it's that the talking and, and the really good learning behind it but actually doing something with mm. it and making it happen every day and that i do believe will support learners mm. beyond the school gates uh you know some of our learners don't have gardens mm. so they don't have the, the big space in their living room to be able to do activities so there's so many factors which is why again we bring it back to a space where we can where they're safe we bring it back to a place where they can reflect and have that that time to regulate physically and to grow mm. and culture is built through modeling absolutely isn't yeah, it, it is. so that school culture would be built through the role modeling of that yeah um okay let's move so i think that was uh that i think that was a really uh insightful uh conversation and um i think we need to really i think it's a it's a thinking point even for me to be honest uh, moving forward so um right what uh your your turn now Krika. it is so oh, yeah. what i wish i knew earlier so um i think the punchline here is is to switch the lens uh so teachers and practitioners are constantly thinking about 
attainment, pastoral support, operations of teaching, Ofsted. Um, and what we often need to do is, is zoom out again, zoom out, switch the lens to thinking about self-development for themselves, um, for the young people, um, but also for the wider cause. You know, this is not just for the here and now to feel good. This is actually a, a, a lifelong uh, journey. And this is that young people and the adult, I hope, will be taking this beyond that moment in time when they're plugging it into their lessons. So um, for me, it's to sweat the right things, be it nice, small nice. or big. Yeah. Yes. So that's my, my, my I wish I knew earlier thought. Sweat for the right things. Sweat the right things. <laughs> uh, that's, that's good. And actually, my, my Serenity Sunday moment actually moves, uh, comes quite nicely from that, that nice. thinking as well. And it's about this idea of that it's never too late. Ooh. So it's never too late to stop striving to make your life better, to make your life healthier, to be happier, and even to make your life more fulfilling. And as humans, we're always <clears throat> seeking to seeking something we're seeking that connection we're trying to seek the connection with ourselves physically emotionally and mentally we seek connection with others and this idea of community psychology that um you know we come together uh, people come together based on shared values and that sense of belonging and we seek a connection with depending on your perspective in life uh is a higher being or a higher sense of purpose and that idea of spirituality so it's it's never too late for us to seek those things yeah. and we often say to young people that uh we're talking to we say it's it's never too late you've got your whole lives ahead of you to make your dreams come true uh but the truth is we all can make our dreams come true absolutely Absolutely. And we are all worthy of making our lives uh, better. We are all worthy of living our lives the way we want to live them. So you're not too broken, you're not too old, and you're not too far gone to do that. It's never too late to build a life that makes you happy and fulfilling, and a fulfilling life. Um, And there's lots of ways that we can you know, it's all about, like you said, changing perspective, changing my, mindset, changing the way you look at things, the lens that you look at things. Mm. So being aware of the fact that small steps create big changes in your life and that sharing your goals with your tribe so that they can support and encourage you is so important. Let your people stand with you. Yeah. Let your tribe stand with you on that journey. Agreed. Yeah. And then also knowing and understanding that your sense of self is not set in stone. Believe in yourself and the potential for change and growth. So friends, that is almost the end of our show. We will, uh, so we will be uh, saying our goodbyes. We will also be, just to make you aware, there's, uh, we publish the show uh, and it will be available on uh, Pod, Podbean, Spotify, Teachers Talk, Talk Radio. Have I missed anything, Rupa? Uh, Apple Music, I think. Yeah. Yes. Um, so YouTube. YouTube as well. So, yeah, our show will be available for anyone to listen to. Please do direct it, direct people who you think would benefit from the show, direct them to the, our show. Uh So, friends, goodbye. Goodbye. Stay well.
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.